you know, verse 11 can be like this, like really like, man, we're going to overcome. Like we can do this. Like, and that's really, I think, as we get into the sermon series we're diving into on Sunday mornings, it is really about like, what do we learn from these churches? And can we have this kind of a bold faith? And that's why I said at the beginning, like, this is, this is real. And I I say that not because it's like, why I don't expect you to think like this as well this is a bunch of fake stuff but I'll, I'll listen anyway like no i but i think when you get into like dragons and women clothes with the sun it be, you can get you can distance yourself from it and be like well that's really interesting I, that was a really interesting bible study i went to but it's like oh this is like how god sees you that's how god sees us is these you know over potential overcomers which i think is is really is powerful um Yeah, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's even so much about like dying for your faith. It's just so much like when the pressure came at them, it, they weren't scared of it. They weren't scared of what life was throwing at them because of the the stand they made of their faith. Like, if it costs them, if it costs me my life, that's that's fine. But like, I I can face what life's gonna throw at me. If I if if I've got this then, you know, my life can throw whatever, whatever it wants. So I don't think it's so much like, hey, if I die, it's cool. I don't think that's really what it's getting at. It's more just the idea of, of um, yeah, just being able to fa- – I mean, they ever had to face a lot, and Christians around the world have to face a lot. We, I mean, it's different degrees, but you guys face stuff. I mean, you have to work through stuff. You have challenges you face. You, you go, and that, So this is supposed to be something where, you know, as you're going through the stuff – like you can overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Like that's like you have that kind of identity in Christ that you're holding on to that allows you to persevere through the stuff that life throws at you. I think that's how you could distill it down to us and whatever scale you could scale that. However, you know, some people are facing different challenges, but you know, I was something that I was taught early on as a youth pastor and it was, you know, if a, if a teenager comes to you with some problems, don't ever minimize their problem, even if you think it's very petty. Like, I mean, I've had, you know, girls who broke up with their boyfriends that are in tears. They're like, I lost the love of my life. And like, they're dating somebody else in like two weeks, you know, kind of a thing. But like, that was always a thing of like, don't like, don't minimize that. Because for them in that moment, that sucks. Like that, what they're going through at that moment is really hard. Now you could say, well, but it's not as hard as the kid in, you know, the Congo that doesn't have clean water. Well, it's different. But I think the idea that you get through Revelation is like wherever you are, God is meeting you in the middle of that. And he doesn't look at you and be like, you know, you guys got to suck it up. Like you're kind of a wuss. Like again, that also voice is not from God. That's the accuser's voice. If you're always feeling like, man, I'm such a wuss, like I'm such a wimp, I, I'm, I always fall into temptation. I never do this thing right. I just can never get this right. When you get like, when we, because I, I, I do that, I start to spiral, you know, and that's not God's voice. It's just not like. If you need to like put that in bold somewhere and like put it on the dashboard of your car or put it on your mirror in your bathroom or something like that's just not God's voice. 
And so that's, that's something that you see is like, this is a victory. Like, Revelation 12 is a victory, a victory um, chapter in the Bible. And, and so it talks at the end, it says, then, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, which is us. Um, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. I love that. The imagery of like hold fast. I think about like, um, you know, in, in this in this um, age, you would have had people traveling across continents on boats, and they wouldn't necessarily go out in the middle of the ocean because they didn't necessarily have like most of them. What's like even like Paul's journeys where he gets shipwrecked, like he's not out in the middle of the ocean. Like they, they kind of stayed pretty close to shore because the boats, the a lot of the boats they had just. Couldn't weren't up to it. They didn't have the technology yet. But even that, like when you're in the middle of a storm and you're out on the water, like you hold, you know, you hold fast. You lash things down. You like, you know, you hold. You you strap yourself in. You know, like when you're on an airplane and you hit turbulence, what do they tell you to do? So, fast your seatbelts and don't leave your seat. You know, like that's the idea. Is like, you know, as stuff is going down, hold fast to your testimony. Like know your story. Know. That this that this this battle that's been fought and won has been won on your behalf, and I think that's that's one of those encouraging things. Can I say something really controversial? Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to preface really quick by saying, like, if you disagree with me, I'm not saying this is like the requirement for like being an official Christian or something. But when you look at like the martyrs in history, even like in the Bible, but then like just in church history. I cannot remember these girls' names, but there were two women who were both declared saints by the church later. They were both thrown into the Colosseum to be killed by a bull. And they didn't run away. They didn't try to fight the bull. They both knelt down and prayed and actually sang praises to God while the bull, like, trampled them to death. And hundreds of people in the Colosseum watched that. And I think a ton of them actually were converted by, like, witnessing their faith. And so I think that, like, when we look at, like, conquering, and our, our mind immediately goes to, like, domination. Like, you totally, like, yeah. that person, right? Yeah. You've won. Yeah. But conquering, I think, in Revelation, you could also say is, like, enduring. Like you, like you said, you held down, you held tight. And so a way that today we can embody that, which ultimately is trust. You're saying, I trust God so much, yeah, you can kill me, but I know everything's going to be okay in the end. I think one of the most powerful ways, and this is where it's, like, Walking on this Here's can be like sketchy. Part. <laughs> I think one of the most powerful ways you can say I trust God is by never owning a gun. Hmm. Now I'm not saying if you own a gun, you don't trust God or you're not a Christian or something. But I totally admit that on the average week, I think about my desire to have a gun because I see that our world is freaking nuts. And I'm like, man, I feel a lot more secure, right? If I was packing. <laughs> you just feel more assertive. No, I. And half my family owns like between them like literally tens of thousands of bullets. They're just obsessed and they have like severe anxiety. And I'll, I look at them now as as I'm older and I'm like, you guys like are living in fear. And I, I would not at this point I would not say that to their face. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I'm like, how much more like you can say so much by not by just like how you. What's on your body right now? Like, do you, do you think that you need to be able to kill somebody at any given moment? Or are you that afraid to lose your life? Or do you know that ultimately your future is the resurrection? Hmm. 
that is like your identity. So, yeah, and, and not to go on that tangent a ton, but I think just to kind of go build off of that, you do see the church growing a lot more and a lot more in a healthy way throughout history when it's being persecuted. You know, when, when it is difficult and there's, I mean, there's Fox's, books, Fox's Book of Martyrs you can pick up. I think it's even just online. Um, there's all these stories that are like that that are just crazy. But all of them, it's like this happened to this person. And be, I mean, there are people that were burned to the stake, you know, Christians doing it to other Christians, you know, even like in, in church history. And the testimony of the person who is being burned, they're like singing worship songs as they're being burned at the stake, you know, and, and that changes people's minds a lot more than if you got the crusades or you got a sword at somebody's throat, you know, and, or you got to put a, you know, put a gun to somebody's head, you know, our, our denomination, the evangelical covenant church just had a vote. We had our annual meeting this last week. We just had a vote to repudiate the doctrine of discovery, the whole idea that, you know, that we had, it's our destiny to conquer North America and whoever we have to clear off of this land, that doesn't matter because God has ordained us to conquer America. Like we basically just as a denomination confess that like that was, we were wrong. Like even though there was a papal bull, a papal mandate that came from Europe saying, go do it, go conquer America in the name of Jesus. I mean, just been so much harm has been done in that, but you see, yeah, those those martyrs are those who like didn't fight back, but stood their ground. That's the thing, you know, when Jesus talks about turn the other cheek, it's literally like standing somebody down, like staring somebody down, letting them smack you in the face, and then continuing to stare them down and letting them slap you in the other face and not moving. Like that's intimidating. You know, like if you were, if like if, if, if Audrey and I are going toe to toe and she punches me in the face and I just don't even move and I'm like, and I'm like, awesome. okay. <laughs> Guess I got to punch harder. You know, like think about any action, like especially the old, like cheesy 80s action movies when like the guy punches the guy and he doesn't move and he tries to punch him again and he doesn't move. Like there's that moment of like, holy smokes, this person's tough. Like that is... The image, Jesus is not saying, like, just, just lay there and let somebody just beat the tar out of you. Like, that's not the image. The image is just like, you can do what you want to do, but I'm, I'm here. Like, I'm... There's, a, there's another important key to that, but it's like a rabbit trail. So I don't want to say rabbit trail. But if we want to talk later, there's some cool details about that context of that teaching. I think it's really helpful, but we can talk about it later. Go, you go, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. All right, so come on. Pretend you're about to fight me, okay? Actually, oh, I was like, I'm, I'm about to hit Colin, okay? But you never use your left hand because that's your bad. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. This right. is good, this that, is good. That's, like, very dishonoring to yourself. Like, you don't ever touch someone with your left hand, so it's only right hand, okay? And so at the beginning it says that you slap, I would slap Colin with, on his left cheek, okay? So I slap open hand. I'm not going to do it. Just look that way. Okay, so I slap you. He's looking that way, okay? <laughs> then, if he turns the other way, which would be his right cheek, so look the other way. I haven't slapped him yet. How am I going to... It would be awkward to slap him like this, right? So you would yeah. do backhand. Well, there's two different ways to slap somebody, and they mean two different things. If I slap Colin open hand, which was the first one, 
That is me disrespecting him, saying you're lower than me, but if you look the other way and I backhand him, it's a way of saying that we're equal. You would only backhand somebody if you're like on equal social status. And so it's a creative way of saying, I refuse to let you say that I'm less than you. We're equal. So it's a subversive, yeah, creative way good. of not playing by the rules and upholding your own dignity. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's that. That was worth. That was worth taking some time for that. So, yeah, yeah, because it, it really. Is, I mean, that's again. I think I've said it like five times already tonight. This is a book of hope. This is supposed to be encouraging to people. Um, that you know, you if you find yourself in it, if you find yourself being rejected for your faith, if you find yourself being pushed to the side, like you're in good company. You're in good company. Like that, that's that's okay. So we're gonna keep we're gonna keep rolling because it's already after nine. We're gonna roll into thirteen. So this is really this is yeah okay. So the dragon, the dragon's back. Dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on its head a blasphemous name. The beast saw, I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast and who can wage war against it? So I'm going to stop. So last week, we had an angel. And he was pretty big. If you remember, he had legs like flaming, like the, like the pillars of fire and the pillar of cloud. The angel standing one foot in the ocean, one foot on the land. We talked about how that's really the sign of God is over everything, land and sea. Notice in what we just read, where's the dragon, where's the beast and the dragon coming out of? The sea. Just the sea, right? And the dragon stands where? On the shore of the sea doesn't stand on both. The angel could have a foot in one and a foot in the other one. All of the beasts, the beasts, because there's going to be a couple, and the dragon, they're not as powerful. They're either on the sea or they're on the land. They're not on both simultaneously. The angel is on both, that is like representative of Jesus, on both simultaneously. So automatically, you know, if this is being, if you got to remember, like we're reading this like a couple chapters at a time and we go home for a week and we come back. They heard this all at once. Like it was read publicly. People were listening. Like you guys wouldn't have had it to be able to read it in front of you. And you'd have been just listening to somebody read it out loud. So this is coming like a couple of minutes after they just heard about this huge angel with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And now they're hearing about this beast, which, you know, is we're going to get to what the beast is here. But... It's only either in the sea or on the land. There's not on both. So they're automatically, it's like, okay, John's saying these are less powerful. These are, even though they seem like, and this is important to say because in their lives, 
Rome is unstoppable. You know, in their life experience, Rome is unstoppable, and the Roman pantheon of gods are not to be argued against. So, like, if you're going to say Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's not super popular. And most people would have been like, yeah, so why are y'all getting killed in the Colosseum like Drew was just talking about? God is so big, like, why, why are you guys getting, you know, kicked around? And so this, again, John's saying, I know it's what it looks like, but the dragon's in the shore, on the shore. The beast is coming out of the sea. Ten horns. We got a lot of power again. Seven heads. Now here's, in the, in the, in the ten crowns, here's where um, this ties into uh, the book of Daniel. So if you go back to the book of Daniel, there's a lot of similar imagery. These different um, kind of ferocious animals all represent a kingdom, all represent an empire. And so essentially what John's saying is like Rome has like absorbed all of these other kingdoms around them because they did. They absorbed, you know, all these kingdoms that had gone before them. They'd conquered a bunch by this point. But it's the dragon... Satan gives the beast. The beast is Rome. Um, it's the Roman Empire. Dragon gave the beast his power. And the beast specifically, the head of Rome is Caesar, right? The emperor. So the beast is, so it's, it's a Roman Empire, but it's the emperor who rules the Roman Empire. One of the heads of the beast, uh, back to the uh, also seven heads, there's the seven hills of Rome. It's, again, these are like anybody who had like been to Rome, they'd seen this, like this is very familiar to them. So along the sea, seven hills, seven heads. Okay, they, they're getting this, this imagery. Um, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And he did at that point. Roman Empire has, it's like the most powerful empire on earth at this point. Um, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, and the fatal wound had been healed. So there's this whole thing going on, and about in 69 AD is when Nero is killed. This was written probably in the 90s, so you know, a little bit later on. Um, there was a whole myth that was built around Nero dying and being raised back to life. Now, Jesus had already really died and come back to life about 30 years earlier. The Romans liked to borrow things from other cultures and other faiths and appropriate them for their purposes. Uh, the whole idea, and David talked about it in a sermon two weeks ago, the whole idea of Romans, Roman emperors being worshipped as gods, that comes from Egypt, Cleopatra. You know, if you, you know, Ra, the sun god, empowers the almighty, all de, you know, the deity of the, you know, the pharaohs. That that so the Rome Julius Caesar gets that from Cleopatra. You know, and the, the Egyptian culture says, I like this is kind of cool. People are they worship the pharaohs like gods. Let's worship the emperors like gods. So he imports that into the Roman into the Roman Empire. So he dies in sixty nine A D. And there's like this rumor that starts getting spread around of like, oh, Nero's back. And there would be even like lookalikes of Nero that would like show up. No, seriously. There'd be like, look, and there'd be other, other Caesars who followed him in very short succession that would start, so I'm, I'm actually Nero reincarnated and I'm back to rule. And so 
So that, that's this whole idea of like the wound had been healed. It's, it's, again, we talked about earlier, it's a parody. It's a par- the Romans are trying to, it's a parody of what's, what's real. Um, so people worship the dragon because they've given authority to the beast. Who is like the beast and who can wage war against it? So this is where it gets tricky for us. Because essentially what, what John is talking about is when people are so like frothing at the mouth, devoted to a political leader that it's really worship, that you're really worshiping Satan. You really worship, you're, you're worshiping the opposite of Jesus at that point. And that's happened, right? You have people that are fanatical followings to different world leaders at different times in history. So whenever you see that, you should be really, as a Christian, whenever you see people like, you know, it's okay to like like a candidate, obviously, and you vote for candidates, but when you see like it sort of becoming cultish, you know, like that's when you should go like, uh, it's not really great because that's really looks like what's going on here in the first few verses of 13. So just something to be aware of for us. Sometimes it's hard to discern and I'll, we'll see why here in a second. So keep going. Verse five, the beast was given a mouth to, um, to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise authority for 42 months. The idea of 40, again, these are just like, I don't want to get so much into the length of time other than that it's, it's, a, it's a defined period of time. Open its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And that was happening to the Christians. Their, their faith was really being trashed in public. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority of, over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Now we've heard of that earlier too, right? Revelation 7, there's going to be people of every tribe and tongue and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Now let's stop for a second. So what he's saying is like, there's going to be people that, a lot of times it's really funny because Christians in history have kind of made a fools out of themselves of like, well, who's the Antichrist? It must be this, obviously, like devious, mustache twirling, twisting, you know, person over in this nation. It's like, no, the the beast is really popular, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the... the, this this is a this is a somebody that people are falling in love with that people are giving their they're giving their allegiance to, and people are going to fall for it from every people, language and nation, and it happens. You see it happen throughout history that, you know, there, people are deceived and people give, give their lives for charismatic leaders, and. The one thing I wanted to point out, um, all the inhabitants who worship the beast, all whose names have been not written in the book of life, 
the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Now that's interesting. Because Jesus wasn't, you know, Jesus is, was, died on the cross in 30 AD. But there's an idea that this is the story of the Bible. Really from the beginning, like God's work of redeeming people and all of creation is really written throughout the fabric of this whole thing. And so that, that whole idea of like the lamb was slain from the creation of the world is really easy to like just like read through that and move on. But like that detail of John is saying something really huge there, that like Jesus is already laying the groundwork throughout all of this scripture to this redemptive moment. And so I, I know it's like, okay, Tom, we get it. But it's, it's, it's really, really big because I think it's easy for us to like read some of the stuff and it's either disturbing to us or we don't get it. So we just kind of leave it out. But it's all building towards, you know, this point. So whoever has ears, let them hear. Basically saying like, hey, if you are listening to this, like don't fall for it. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. And, you know, we're not good at that. I'm not good at being patient. I'm not a patient person. I'm just not. Um, but it's when, you're, when, you're going, when we're going through these seasons of our lives that are difficult, we don't know what to do, we're, we're, we're up against it, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. I think that's a good word for us in your life as you're going through challenges and confusion and stuff. Is This calls for patient endurance and just be faithful to what God has put in front of you and you go from there. So then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Now this is this idea, and the word hasn't been used, but it's this idea of an antichrist. And really the idea of antichrist is just someone who is the opposite of Jesus. It looks, pretends like it has the characteristics of Jesus, might portray themselves as benevolent and portray themselves as, hey, I'm here for you, I'm here to save you, I'm here to help you. But really, it's like the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of a thing. It's, it, this is really, and this, again, this happens a lot. Think about all of the church scandals and pastors who, you know, get caught doing all sorts of things. Like, it, this happens pretty, unfortunately, pretty regularly because, um, again, like, you wouldn't get deceived if it was obvious. You know, this is not like a Saturday morning cartoon from the 70s where, like, the villain is very obviously a villain. Uh, but this is, um, it's, it's, it's got power. It looks harmless like a lamb. Spoke with a dragon and exercised all the authority of the beast on its behalf. And we're really talking about, um, we're, gonna, we're, talk, we're continuing to talk about Nero, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute, why I say that. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven, which is what um, you know, uh, Elijah does in the, in the Old Testament. 
even causing fire to come down from heaven and to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given to perform in behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Again, we're talking about Nero. Second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image would speak and cause all to be all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And you see this with the succeeding Caesars. They would hold up this emperor worship thing. Forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands and on their foreheads, so that they would could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who might calculate who has inside calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. So this has been the thing that has baffled people for, but it's, it's actually very simple. If you want to do this, I, I'll exercise. Um, if you got a phone or you got a notepad, I, I, I can decode the number of the beast for you in about five minutes if you want to do that tonight. So, um, so if you want to write this down, like a math problem, take a 50. It's the number of 50. And then underneath that, you put plus 200. And underneath that, plus 6. Underneath that, put another 50. Underneath that 50, put 100. And then underneath that 100, put a 60. Underneath that 200, and that equals 666. Now, go back up. If you have your phone, you'll have to edit a little bit. Um, next to the 50, put the letter N. Next to the number 200, put the letter R. Next to the number 6, put the letter O. Next to the letter 50, put another N. Next to the 100, put a letter K. Next to the 60, put the letter S. Next to the 200, put the letter R. Can anybody decode what that says? It's maybe, it's not English, by the way. It says Nero. <laughs> yeah, it's, so in Hebrew, it would be N-E-R-O-N-K-A-I-S-A-R, or in English, Nero Caesar. 666 is Nero Caesar. That um, number code is called gematria. It's a Hebrew numerical, nu- numerical code that they would use to, to send messages. Uh, so does, it, is it like, does it correspond with like a letter? Yeah, so each, each letter has a number value. Okay. Yeah, so you see, like, both ends are both 50. Yeah, like a decoder. Yeah, yeah, it's like a decoder. Like, they, would, they would, again, people hearing it, like, when that was read, they'd have been like, oh, yeah, that's Nero. Like, they, they would have been, they would have understood it. But if this scroll gets intercepted by something from the Roman Legion, they're like, what is this, 666? What is this all about? They don't get it. So that's the idea. So when you see heavy metal bands with a horned red devil with 666, it's their 
what's a red devil with Nero Caesar on his chest? Because um, that's really what it is. Monster energy just says Nero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of the, like the kind of satanic, like I know that's what it's meant for now because it's like, but the beast, the whole idea of Nero is that if you know about Nero, he was really the first Caesar to really take it to Christians and be really awful to Christians and really make their lives awful. And so he's often held up in literature as like the epitome of the anti-Jesus, the anti, that he is the beast. So when they're talking about the beast, I mean, it's, it's, he's representative of all the different Roman emperors that would come. The Roman emperor who is probably in power as this as John is writing as a guy named Domitian who was the worst. He was awful. Um, I mean, we just do just, I mean, these are people who would like take you, stab you on top of a metal stake, light you on fire. And then they would have garden parties and there'd just be people burning like around you as they're having like dinner. Like that's what they would do. Or they'd put animal skins or pieces of meat tied to you, and then they'd send the dogs out to just chew you up, you know, kill, you know, just chew you up. You get killed by dogs. Like that was the stuff they would do for fun. I mean, it's like just this evil, evil, totally dehumanized. And that's the other part, I think, of all of this to take away that you see a lot in this is when it comes to Satan, it's very dehumanizing. People are not like a person created in the image of God with value. People are just cattle that, you know, you can, and you, we see that in our culture in a lot of different ways, dehumanization of people. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation for another time. But that is really the spirit of the beast, is dehumanizing people. Whenever you see that, that's really the echo of this idea, is like people are just not treated with their value. I mean, you see it just in so many ways. Um, and so when you see even the judgments of God, which are, are going to come again in this next couple of chapters, it's always, again, it's this redemptive thing. I'm trying to draw your attention to something so you can change a behavior and you can be redeemed. It isn't I'm just trying to make your life awful. It's never God's heart. And so that's a real difference. Um, so yeah, we basically, that's, um, this is the first time you really see, it's kind of been hinted at, but this is, 12 and 13 is this idea of ultimate power, ultimate good, ultimate evil, and they're going at it. And we're in a nutshell, in two chapters, we're going to just paint this picture of, and we're caught in the middle of it. And they were caught in the middle of it in a very obvious way in the first century, but that's really where this is going. And as we get into um, the next couple weeks, um, as I'm just flipping through here, like it's gonna come to a head. Like basically 14 through 18, and 18, 18 and 19 is really like, the, the, the pinnacle of like when evil runs rampant, this is what happens. And God's got to do something about it. So. Tell him really quick, where did you get those numbers again? 
Um, so do you want me to go through the, the number by number? Or where no, do I just didn't know if you were like found them from the verses we just went through, but I don't see. I, there's a re- it's, a re- it's a reference book. That I, so I, the, the number is just 666, but I, there's a, a book that I have that has like it spelled out. Like it's, a, there's a, it's like an illustrated book of Bible backgrounds, a Zondervan book of Bible backgrounds, and he goes through and, and kind of decodes. Um, and kind of sh- like lays it out just like, just like I just laid it out for you. So you could, if we were in a Sunday school class, I would have brought a whiteboard out and I would have done it all, in the, all dramatically on the board for you. Well, but we would have been like, whoa, that's so cool. So, but, but you have to do it on your, you have your own. How, how are they expected to like find those values like just from one number? Like, so, like how do they find like the 50 and the 200? So that would have been, they, that would have been understood by them. I mean, that would have been understood by them that, that um, where it talks about let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beasts. So obviously there's a lot of different ways you can get to 666. So what they're saying is like, if you have the right combination of numbers, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna calculate that. And so again, it's, like, it's, just, it's just kind of like a way they would securely be able to communicate something like that. But there would have been likely some kind of a cipher or a key that they would have been known like, okay, it's divided by this many numbers, this many letters or whatever like that. So I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I've just, I've seen it like I just gave it to you. I've seen it laid out like that. I'm not sure how they would like package that, but this is just an example of how they would use that kind of a number. Yeah. Is there a book in Yeah, I mean, my favorite one of the commentaries that I'm using, there's a book called Revelation by a guy named Gordon Fee. Um, that's really good. Um, N.T. Wright also has a series called, he has, this is called For Everyone. So he has every, but it's just a revelation for everyone. That's really good too. He has a lot of this stuff laid down. Most of them don't break it down numerically. They just say 666 is Nero Caesar. Um, I just have a Bible backgrounds book that actually like breaks down how that is six, how six 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 adds up to Nero Caesar. I remember uh, I think it was two Sundays ago that Pastor David mentioned that, but he kind of said it very quickly and then moved on. And I remember David and I, and really the rest of the family were in the car like, <laughs> but how? <laughs> You're telling us this, but like, how does it lead to that? You know? And David's very like focused or. Brother David, not Pastor David. He's very focused on like uh, he likes like the history behind it. So he's like all for David going off. Other David, Pastor David, <laughs> other going off on like certain aspects of Roman history. But that was that one part that we were both kind of like. So which was the which part are you talking about? Uh, Nero equals six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just kind of mentioned it, skimmed yeah. over it, and I was like. Well, and he's. <laughs> His, David's thing is, because there is a lot out there. I mean, I have, one, two, three. I have at least six that I could use. A lot of them have similar thoughts, so I don't always use all six, but like some of them have details that I'll pull in from this commentary or that commentary. So it just all kind of depends on what my time's like. And, but this is like the notes that I've, this was an adult Sunday school class I've adapted for you guys that I did two years ago. What's that? <laughs> like, well, actually, Meredith, Meredith came to it. Um, it was in the choir room. It was great. But it was only 40 minutes. 
So I had to be like, I had to just fly through this. It was basically like, a, like we didn't have any real time to discuss. It was a lecture. Was this is I, want, I like this better because we can talk about stuff. And I couldn't really, I didn't really have time to explain stuff. It was just like, here, take my word for it. Here's all the stuff. Um, so I like this is a better. Actually, this is a more um, Jewish way to do education. Like a person standing in front of a room and lecturing is Greek. Like, well, even like synagogue, like Jesus' synagogue, what they would do is they would have like the scroll of the, of the day. And so they'd hand them the scroll. And you see that Jesus is, when Jesus is, um, starts his ministry, he reads Isaiah 4, which is like totally describes his ministry. That means like he was the reader for the day. So they'd have somebody read the scroll and then they would sit down and be like, let's discuss now. Like you've heard this word and someone would teach a little bit but it wasn't just like they would just do a lecture and then everybody go have lunch they had most couldn't right so the reader would read it but then they would just like they wouldn't all have had scrolls in front of them there had been like and scrolls were super expensive so like a, a town might have like their like if you lived in nazareth they might have had like a book of the bible or like part of a book of the bible and that's it that's all they had they didn't have like the whole thing so that's all they had to go on. So it really depended on, like, the rabbis, they had to have it all memorized. Like, that's how, you, that's how you became a rabbi, is that you had to have the entire Old Testament memorized to the point where you could have an, a, a, an established rabbi ask you questions. They could quiz you about, like, the whole Testament. And if you, if you could answer to their satisfaction, you became a rabbi. I think you couldn't answer to their satisfaction. You, you couldn't. That's why Peter and all them are fishermen because they, didn't, they couldn't do it, which is amazing because they end up becoming like the, the core of Jesus' followers. But, I mean, Paul is really the only educated, biblically trained, like successfully. They were all biblically trained. I mean, that's school. Hebrew school, every boy went to Hebrew school and you learn you know, the first five books of the Bible and stuff like that. But Paul's the only one that actually made it and was a rabbi. The rest of them were like dropouts, essentially. So, so be comforted if you don't get this. Like, they didn't get it either. <laughs> I mean, good thing they didn't become rabbis. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and honestly, the ones who did get were some of the people that gave them the hardest time because they just couldn't get past their framework of under, how they understood it. So, And that's the thing I, get, I think maybe something that's worth saying is, as I'm teaching you guys... I mean, I'm always learning stuff. So, and I have to go back and study it every time. It's not like I've got this stuff down cold. And I, I read new things. So, like, I mean, the way I read Revelation now is not the way I read it in college. I think I've got a better understanding of it now. But I just, you just got to keep learning. And, I, like, I love, Audrey, that you asked a question about where do you get this stuff. Because I think you should read it for yourself. And you should study it for yourself. I think that's the best way to learn. So.